when you think about when you want equitable outcomes it entails inequitable inputs um, to bring everyone to a level before we can move forward as a country so having those extra provisions also ensures that we we've got the capability there to get equitable outcomes kia ora i'm troy here as ceo and welcome to stirring the pot thanks for connecting if you're new here's what you can expect we're going to be talking the tough stuff the things that keep us metalheads up at night there are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we're talking with our very own CEO, Troy Coyle, and Managing Director of the HTK Group, Renata Hakiwai. Together they co-chair the Interim Establishment Board, Hanga Aroro, for the Manufacturing, Engineering and Logistics Workforce Development Council, or WDC for short, which is an initiative out of the Tertiary Education Commission. Well, welcome to the both of you. Uh, it's great to have you in here today at the at the studio. Um, you are both experienced board members, and it's a really great opportunity to sort of delve a bit deeper into your history. It'll be great if I could understand a little bit more about how you got into the board circuit and your history leading up to that. Um, yeah, I suppose for me it. Um I was sort of pushed on to to um to boards um yeah I suppose when when I when I think about um um uh, for example um the board I sit on around the settlement our settlement in Hawke's Bay um I was sort of voluntold <laughs> um and I was voluntold to appear at, at our um at our at our sort of huia hapu which we we make the nominations and um yeah the auntie said no you're going on it You've got no choice then, and for me, I've I've sort of seen um, a lot of Iwi politics, and I and I've always tried to shy away and think, oh, I just don't need that stress. But when the aunties say you're going on it, you know, you can't really say no, and so, um, yeah, that was sort of my really my first experience into Maori governance. Um, outside of that, you know, I've, I've I've been on other other boards and and directorships, but that was sort of my first really experience into Maori governance, and that was probably. Um, that was that, that's that has been probably an experience that has actually really honed my skills. <laughs> like um, you know, if you, they say if you can survive Maori Maori governance and politics, you can you can survive anything. Yes, I imagine it's a pretty interesting <laughs> terrain to navigate through. And yourself, Troy, what's your history in board governance? Uh, so mine started in Australia, so on a range of kind of not for profits relating to sustainability. And um, working at the university, I was on some of the uh, research-related boards. Um, so one, for example, that stands out is the CRC, the Cooperative Research Centre for Energy Pipelines, um, and also on a range of committees and councils, commercialisation committees and so on. Uh, and then moving to New Zealand, again, a range of not-for-profits um, relating to, for example, Maui dolphins and um, some animal rights and then a range of professional ones from HERA. So I was actually on the board of HERA since 2015 and became deputy chair and um, so now on the boards of, what am I on, Sustainable Steel Council, um, Steel Construction New Zealand, um, 
previously on Nash, on the IEB one with Rin, and um, also a um, startup company in disruption of legal services. So quite a kind of range of Oh, is that all? Boards. <laughs> That sounds like quite a lot. Actually, in my experience, because I've got a lovely CEO called Troy, <laughs> who's yeah. also uh-huh. been pushing me to join onto some boards to to improve my experience. It's actually quite a difficult space to get into. So it's um, I, I can see you obviously have a wealth of knowledge to bring to the table, having been onboarded to so many boards. Yeah, I, th- I even think like the range of boards that you've been on. So I've been on, um, you know, right from not-for-profit to real high commercial. So I chair our investment um, board in, in the Hawke's Bay, um, you know, and that's sort of, you know, you've, you've got the, the, the settlement money right at your hand. So, you know, um, not stuff it up, but, you know, you've got a mandate to grow money. And then on, right on the other side, you've got a mandate to grow people um, and then, um, you know, even startups. So... You know, to sort of get that experience um, right across the board, um, I find is um, you'll, you'll soon find your sweet spot, but it'll also sort of develop your governance skills. Because sometimes people, um, especially if you, um, I've got a few um, mates who are on NZX boards, and therefore so all they've been is in commercial boards, and so that's all they know, and that's all they see. Like their lens is focused always on, on commercialization, And so sometimes they've got a lot of blind spots, uh, when it comes to looking at a, at a holistic and sort of impact um, lens. Yes, I think also that's probably a unique thing that you bring to the table from your Māori dim as well is that holistic approach, which I find um, quite different in business as well. There's always that sort of um, view on the commercialisation aspect and not often on on the other aspects that say perhaps Matauranga Māori may bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, and even sort of you know with Māori and other sort of um, cultures, um, specifically indigenous cultures, um, and and when I talk from Māori perspective, you sort of see things through a different lens. So, for example, you know this cup over here, um, um, you know it might be seen as a cup that's had a transactional relationship. You know, I bought the cup, but and when you look for a sort of deeper lens, actually the cup was probably the stones might have come from the, a river, you know, which um, the water flew down from the mountain. So things that are seen more relational as opposed to transactional. Do you sort of get what I mean? Yes, I love that. I love that. I totally buy into that sort of feeling. And, and it's really exciting to see that sort of lens being applied to governance, to business, and really to all, all aspects within Aotearoa. And it's exciting to see it starting to grow as a focus. So you have both (coughs) been co-chairs of the Interim Establishment Board for the Manufacturing, Engineering and Logistics WDC, or the Workforce Development Council. How did that opportunity come about for the two of you? Troy. Uh, So originally we had a chair role just like all of the interim establishment boards, so that was the default position. Um, But what is really unique about the reforms in vocational education is that the legislation, the primary legislation, for the first time refers to honouring tetirity. And so we had to really reflect on what that was inviting us to do in terms of governance innovation and 
um, one of the things that we thought would be reflective of honouring Tatiridi was creating a co-chair arrangement because, you know, we wanted to express that partnership, as Rin says, through form and function through the WDC. Uh, so that's how it originated. And I would say that um, it probably was contentious originally because people hadn't uh, really had experience with co-chairing. I hadn't, for example. I've, I've never been in a, in, on a board where there was a co-chair before. And we looked for examples and uh, there was a lot of good examples and a lot of examples where people had expressed that it you know, wasn't ideal. Uh, but we figure, and this is my personal view, is that um, you shouldn't be a chair if you can't be a co-chair. If you can't share that arrangement, then probably you know, you're not the best person to be a sole chair either. So uh, I, I figure that, um, yeah, it's a learning experience and, and and we're navigating through it, but there haven't been any of the shortcomings that people have warned us about from our experience, I don't think. So just drilling down into that a little bit more, Troy, the co-chair idea, was that something that was pitched from the group within the, the board or something mandated to you no so the the mandate was really that obligation to honor tetirity and our our interpretation of that if we were really going to take that um, mandate then um, this was one way to reflect that in a governance way and we we had a lot of discussions around you know the establishment of the um, WDCs was very um bureaucratic I guess in the in terms of the process because we had to establish secondary legislation through the ordering council and so there wasn't a lot of I guess ways that we could be innovative um, in the short role that we had of establishing that ordering council and and so we had to really reflect on what does that mean for governance it's not around the activities of the WDC at that point in time um, although the Ordering Council definitely establishes the um, foundation for that. But in that moment in time, we were focused on the governance and how could we innovate in the governance to make it reflective of this obligation that we were had in the primary primary legislation. Um, and so it was a challenge because um, there was no examples where we could refer to other organisations having, you know, the same kind of obligation in the legislation because this was a first um so we really had to learn it ourselves propose them ideas ourselves investigate them look at them um and that was all through our individual um wdc ieb um yes i guess that's the exciting thing about having diverse perspectives from a, a table is that you can come up with exciting new ideas to try and test out so for you, Ren, how effective or important do you think that has been in honouring Tatiriti? <clears throat> um, I, I think that's been real important because, um, you know, it's easy to just have words on a paper, but I suppose it's how do you bring that to um, to fruition. It's probably the key. And, um, and, and like Troy was saying, it was around form and function and um, how do we bring that and how do we... Uh, bring that to fruition through the form, but also through um, how we function as, a, as an organisation or a soon-to-be um, um, organisation that was sort of stood up through legislation. And um, you look across other government organisations, I don't think they're doing it very well. 
Um, I don't think they've got it yet. Um, and so um, this was an opportunity to actually embed and actually hardwire, okay, this is how we're going to do things. Okay, we need um, to have this with regards to form. We need this to be hardwired in so we can actually develop the actual structures to deliver on you know, what's in legislation. So that was probably one of the first things. And second was, okay, how do we um, how do we bring that capability out, and how do we actually deliver that um, for a functional point of view? And so we needed the capability within the within the formation of that um, to actually deliver on that and, and deliver on 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 those legislative uh, requirements. And so um, when you look at the capability, um, so you know, for example, fifty fifty, yes, and in, in form it, it's reflective. Um, of Tatiti around 50-50 partnership, but also when you look at capability, um, you you need the capability and, and for example, when you talk about Matauranga Māori, um, you need those experts who are, you know, well, those those people who are potential experts in Matauranga Māori um, or have a Māori point of view or Māori lens to actually bring that to fruition. Or else, you know, it's, it's going to be, a, um, you know, it's going to be a dead duck because you don't have the capability to deliver on it. Um, and I suppose um, from starting at the top and working our way down, um, that's where we need to ensure that that's right throughout the organisation with regards to functionality or else it's not going to be true. It's just going to be words to a paper. And so how do we, hard, well, the key was how did we hardwire it in now um, so you know the, we, we don't leave for chance. You know, I think it's really exciting. As, as you said, it's about creating a true partnership <clears throat> that is actually existing versus something that we're, we're saying we're going to do but not really going to honour. So I find it a really interesting, nice step into Yeah, Yeah, and, and I also think, um, you know, because it's it's a new way of doing things and, you know, people get a bit, uh, a bit uneasy around change. And so, yes, it is a new way of doing things and you sort of got to applaud the, the government of the day for actually um, – for this reform of vocational education um, and, and to actually give this a go. You know, Minister Hipkins, um, you know, backed it. And so you've got to sort of applaud, applaud the government of the day for actually um, this change and, um, and actually bringing this to fruition, really. So, Troy, I think you mentioned earlier that this was something new that you were delving into. So I, I'm assuming this model hasn't been done elsewhere or <coughs> has it and and if not what is working well and what's not at the moment mm -hmm. I, I think it's a model that I mean the co-chairing arrangement reflecting to tyranny probably is something that isn't broadly used or commonly used um, maybe co-chairing arrangements exist um, certainly they do exist uh, but not necessarily honoring to tyranny is the basis for it uh, I think, like Bren said, it's really exciting um, to be working on something which really is intended to transform the way things are, do are currently being done. And um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance to change things in a meaningful way and the, the opportunity that it presents to also um, basically create the benchmark or the precedent for how things are done moving forward is to me really exciting to be part of. Um, so, yes, I, I think that the, a big part of the nervousness around 
uh, proposing co-chairs was really that there weren't a lot of examples and it was a model that people were not really familiar with and therefore weren't comfortable with. And for example, some of the criticisms we got was, um, well, how is that going to work? Who's going to chair a meeting? Who will be the actual chair on the day? Um, uh, one of you going to be abrogating your duties because you can blame the other chair? Like, and, and what happens if those chairs don't get along, if they have disagreements or differences of opinion? You know, it was all really concerns around how it was going to operate in practice um, and not a real lot of consideration about the opportunity that it would bring in terms of doing things in a very different way. Um, so, yes, I think that uh, we, ha we haven't had a lot of pushback recently since basically we've been in um, co-chairing in practice for almost all of the period of time that the IEB has been working um, because we implemented it fairly quickly. Um, and yes, I haven't personally received any criticisms um, because I think it's working really well for us. <clears throat> well, I think it's different as well, Troy, because um, knowing yourself, you're quite open to innovating. It's kind of part of your history in terms of your work history as such. And also it's a big mandate for here itself to to innovate so you probably had a, a comfort to try new things and see how it went I don't expect that probably it would be as easy a transition for many in fact as Ren was saying there is sometimes quite a resistance to change so this would have been shaking things up a bit I would imagine how did you feel coming in as the chair the co-chair Ren and what what has your experience been in, in sharing that um, I suppose I've I've um, been a part of um, a board um, where co-chairing has worked well. So the Matariki Reds, which is the Hooks Bay Economic Development, uh, which is made up of all the all the mayors and all that. So I've seen that work well. But I've also been in other um, situations where it's just been a disaster um, because you sort of got two egos that are um, trying to be um, being dictators, you know, as opposed to um, having a shared space for cheering. And I think that's probably the difference, like, um, um, and, that, and that's why I sort of echo what Troy was saying, is that, you know, if you, if you can't be a, a, a chair that could share, share power, then, you know, you're probably not right to be a chair at all. That's probably more of a, being a dictator. Um, and and with, with regards to sort of this experience, I've, I've found it pretty cool. Um, I'm used to being comfortable being uncomfortable. You know what I mean, um, and so always, you know, innovation. I'm, I'm always big on, and so doing things differently. Yes, you're still learning. We're still learning our way, and, and we're always getting better and better. Um, but that's the cool thing about it. Like, yeah, we probably make a few mistakes, but you know, it's it's one of the solutions we're going to bring to um, clear up those mistakes and move forward is is probably the key, the key. But I sort of see it as um, not. Um, well, I see it as sort of two two brains together, um, and and makes a super brain, um, as opposed to just one brain, <laughs> you know. And 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 for me, it's always around serving. So, you know, we're not there to be the boss. We're there to to serve our industries, to serve our board, because we've got a board as well, you know, that we need to take into um, 
uh, and to note their considerations and, and their feedback and opinions as well because everyone's got opinions. Um, so you know, even even myself and Troy, we might have um, a few different um, views on things, but um, you know, we're one voice, so we need to ensure that um, that that voice or that vote is is, is consolidated and, and viewed as one. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I'm comfortable for Troy to make comments on, on stuff, and I'm sure she's comfortable for me to make um, comments on stuff. Where there's stuff where I think, oh, geez, I might just touch base with Troy to see what she thinks. That's when I think, oh, there might be a difference of opinion. But most of the time, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I think the way that we um, think of it, <coughs> and I, I should note actually, um, just going back a step, is although we were the first IEB to establish co-chairs, um, most of the um, – IEBs in their ordering councils have implemented co-chairing arrangements. So certainly we have trailblazed um, a change uh, in approach, Um, but I'm not sure that eventually all of those co-chairs will work in the same way that we work. And the way that we view it is that we're not really two different voices with different um, experiences. We're one voice um, that has coalesced those two experiences so uh, for example you know that one of the concerns is well do you guys get a double vote and we're like no we we vote as one if if there's a difference of opinion we have to negotiate that between us before we express that the difficulty I think in a practical way is when you're real time having to respond to something in the moment you don't get a chance to confer with each other on what your perspective has been and sometimes I have actually seen that, that we have had a difference and so maybe I've spoken first but the Ren will come in and say, well, you know, and then, you know, this is a different way of looking at it. So he kind of corrects my position so we eventually get to, again, that coalesced unified voice. Um, so I think that having that relationship and building the trust between the co-chairs is important but I I just think that it's not that hard. I don't I, – I think people would probably know me as someone who I like to express my opinions, but I, I haven't – even me who is very opinionated, I guess, um, hasn't really – I haven't really struggled with the complementarity of co-chairing arrangements. I feel like our super brain is definitely better than my single brain and, and I prefer to work <laughs> – as a super brain. <laughs> well, it's, it's like sort of um, a husband and wife, mum and dad, eh? You know, <laughs> you've got to be on the same page or else you're going to get played off by all, your, all the kids. And I like being good cop, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have an arrangement where Ren's the good cop and I'm the bad cop. <laughs> but I could be bad cop sometimes. <laughs> well, I guess it's sort of that idea of kotahitanga, you know, oneness. So it's it's a really beautiful thing to see and it's, quite clear that to make the model successful there has to be that oneness uh, it sounds to me that another part of that is to have great communication between the two of you do you think there's any other tools that are necessary to make that model successful or those are kind of the key ingredients I think it's just like um, <clears throat> just being on the same page um, I think communication is big um, sort of knowing your, your sort of coach here knowing what's probably gonna gonna piss them off or what's probably um you know what you're gonna agree on what you're not not gonna agree on so it's probably just having those cues uh, but commu- I, I think communication is big 
um, but, but ensuring that you know you're both on the same page on the same waka and um, you know where there are differences we you can just go to the side and actually have a bit of a talk about it. Yourself no. Troy do you think there's any other sort of tools that make that model successful? I think having that commitment to making it work I, I don't think that um, it's going to work for everyone who isn't able to share that voice and come to that consolidated viewpoint um, you know if you're kind of opinionated but not able to bend then that's probably not going to be an appropriate role for you but as I said probably in my opinion they're not the right people for chairing anyway because you do need to bend um, to the overall will of the board anyway so um, yeah I think that uh, you know people might have concerns and, and it was it was unusual because I didn't know Ren before um, and kind of we're having to assume, you know, the super brain together very quickly and effectively because we also had the pressure of making sure that this was going to work um, because we knew it would be, you know, looked at closely by the other IEBs. Um, so there was a bit of pressure there and um, I think that because we were so committed to it, we, we knew that we were going to make it work. Yeah, I think the same. at the same time we just sort of had to also balance that with getting on with things because this this was a fast moving train um and if you if you didn't you, know, you can if you didn't get on the same same sort of train you sort of missed out on on a lot of provisions within that ordering council um but one thing one thing I will say is that this will probably be a first um with any government agency that's going to be stood up and I sort of say government agency because it is sort of a pseudo government agency um, and, and none of the other agencies have this type of model with probably within their orders and councils or whatever their arrangements are. So I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this. So, you know, you've got co-chairs, you've got 50-50. Um, there's a lot of other provisions and concessions within our order and council, which I think are probably new. But when you when you sort of think about the Rove, it was about reform and, and we talk about transformation. And so if you're going to trans, transform something, you know, you need to, it, it's not a, a, a 10 degree shift you know we need to transformation I see is probably more around 180 moving towards 360 um, but yeah like I said some people can be uncomfortable with that um, especially um, you know in this current political and COVID environment um, but I, I see there's going to be a, a lot of eyes on this being probably the first thing it probably could set a precedent right across government agencies if it works well well when it works well True. So if you were pitching to the agencies or the other agencies who are looking, got their eyes on you, what would you say are the core benefits that you've experienced from becoming co-chairs together? I, I think that, um, like Rin says, the reflection of this informant function makes it feel as though we're um, – meeting our core values and so that feels good it just feels like it's right um so i think that if any organization has those aspirations around honoring tetirity this is a really good way to make sure that you're living your values um and i have to say too that there were some people um involved in the the ieb's who were who were probably um quite skeptical of co-chairing um and i'll give you an example which would be um, Graham Burke from the Construction and Infrastructure IEB, who is also now the co-chair of Concove, which we will do another podcast with. And so 
he's completely changed his view around co-chairing from being a skeptic and not really supporting it to being one that's actually practically implementing it. Um, so I think that there, I think once people understand um, what it actually means and, and what it's reflecting in terms of values, uh, it changes the mindset around, you know, the practical impl- implications and implementation of it. Uh, so I feel like, you know, I'm very much a person that really enjoys living my values and I feel like this is a governance way of living the values of an organisation. Got anything to add there, Um Yeah, I think um, in as you sort of, <clears throat> I see sort of society changing as well um, and, and this would probably, uh, as society changes, um, and as us as people of, of Tatiriti, because we are all people of Tatiriti, it's not just Māori or non-Māori, we are all people of Tatiriti. And I, and I think once everyone's mindsets um, change um, and once people become sort of more aware and more educated around Tatiriti and the, and, and the, and the document um, which founded the, you know, the Constitution of New Zealand, I think people will start getting a better understanding around um, how we could be more reflective um, of tatiriti and um, how we can bring that up and, and bring that into fruition because society is changing and society will change especially when you look at the the, the shifts in, in population um, and the demographics around um, what the future taxpaying workforces will, will be and what what will what will it look like and um, we sort of know that um, that you know, I don't know what the dates are because they keep changing. But you know, I went from 2050, I think, to 2038. You know, you've got a 50% of the workforce will be brown, um, and so once I think once society starts um, being educated around that and starts being aware, I think um, you sort of see it in a different lens. And I've seen change, like I've seen change um, throughout the journey around people who were um, quite skeptical around it actually change their whole perspective after actually um, getting to know it and actually learning about it. It's actually really cool to see. I think that is a really important point because I think there's been some confusion around um, diversity and inclusion and honouring tatiriti. And so some people were thinking that it was, you know, putting in 50-50 was more a diversity and inclusion quota quota Mm, type thing rather than honouring tatiriti. And and it's quite amazing to me um, around how little people understand tatiriti and what it means Um, and to the point that it isn't around diversity and inclusion. It's a, a... legal piece of legislation that we actually have a commitment to Um, and I think that that training is really important and um, another aspect of the co-chairing that I've really enjoyed is is really getting um, to access through REN that different perspective around experiences and looking at things differently and looking at a 500-year plan versus a five-year plan and and so on. So I think it's really an enjoyable learning experience for me and it's really important, I think, for the non-Māori to um, have that training on tatiriti and that commitment to um, honouring it uh, as part of the obligations of joining the WDC as well. Yes, well, 
I'd say that there would be some difficulties. Well, you did mention earlier, Troy, that there were some difficulties when you were pitching the idea of a co-chair in terms of how logistically is that going to work in terms of sharing that role. But another difficulty I'm starting to hear come through this conversation is the lack of understanding of tatility and the obligations that that calls for us to honour. Mm-hmm. So... I can definitely see that that certainly has been a journey. Would you see there being any other difficulties in implementing a model like this with other agencies as well? Yeah, I think that with no bones about it, this wouldn't be happening unless the legislation required it. Um, It wouldn't have happened organically. Um, So really there does need to be changes at that Level. It can't be left to boards to determine um, how they're going to honour tatirity. It needs to be a requirement legislated. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, we really do need to acknowledge how impactful that little bit of wording in the legislation is and will be um, around honouring tatirity and that is going to be um, transformative and really driving a different way in approach to how we view things, not just from governance but moving forward more into operations of the WDC as well. And I'm hopeful that, you know, a lot of the legislation is is, um, really driving or intended to drive transformation. I'm really excited by how that can be um, implemented in practice and what, what we need to do to ensure that that happens at the governance level. Yeah, I was going to say um, application and practice is, is application of tatiriti into practice is probably um, key. So you know all the all the work up top's been done. Um, it's uh, you know we've it's all been implemented throughout um, the mechanisms to ensure governance is, is set up that way. So you know we talk about form and function, and I think it's all about um, yeah application and practice now, uh, which will have its challenges. But like I said, I've I've seen people changed dramatically in, in this journey um, which is really cool to see um, but yeah I, I look forward to seeing this uh, what it looks like in 10 years time and um, what it actually does um, to not only government and government agencies and ministries but also um, how it could also inform industry and, and what it will look like in industry as well. So I'm I'm really curious <coughs> why why is this happening only now? I mean, the tatiriti has been around for quite some time now. Um, why do you think uh, this isn't such a common model? Because it sounds to me that it should be if we are honouring tatiriti. Mm, well, I think it's probably a big part of the um, political willpower to take that next step to make that commitment, and so you know perhaps it was a considered a brave move to put it into the legislation and um and now that it is that that sets the precedent for things moving forward hopefully um but also i think part of that political bravery i guess is the potential lack of popularity of it because of that lack of understanding around tatirity and so um that's one thing that i've really um considered through this process is that like Rin, I've seen people completely change their perspectives once they've had that tatirity training um, and it kind of you know I'm not a New Zealander I'm a, an Australian and, and coming in I'm quite shocked I guess at how little understanding there is around tatirity and again um, 
how that translates into the ways that people view these kinds of activities as being much more around diversity and inclusion rather than based on a legal <coughs> framework that's existed for a very long time. Mm. Yeah, I'd say Troy's pretty much summed, summed it all up. I can't really, really add more to that. But to say I think you're going to see a big change in society, there's going to be a big shift, regardless, I think, of what the political or what side of the political spectrum things land in the next couple of terms. Um, I, I, yeah, I just sort of can see it throughout society at the moment. And this this is just myself, um, you know, being in amongst industry, being in amongst a, a lot of different sectors. You can sort of just feel and see a, see a change coming. Yes, yeah, so with that shift that's coming, what other innovation and governance do you think is important to happen moving forward as as those perspectives start to change? What else do you think will need to happen in governance? Yeah, for, for me, I think it's um, in governance, diversity is huge. And it's not just um, like we talked about around, you know, potential a quote of this many Māori or this many women. I think um, uh, standard best practice governance should should really have a big lens on diversity, as in diversity of lens, diversity of thought, um, and that's again it comes from you know you've got you've got your Pacifica, you've got uh, the LGTB community, um, you've got you know disabilities as well, underserved communities, um, you've got all sorts, and I think um, best practice governance should really be underpinned by diversity of lens and thought. Um, so that, that's one big thing I, I, I would see around um, governance. Um, Troy, any more? Um, I think uh, that having a lens not – so governance in, in terms of broader industry governance, um, not just having that lens around profitability of the company and sustainability of the business of mm. the company, but around that intergenerational well-being contribution that a individual company and an industry as a whole can make. Um, and so that living standards framework to me is such a powerful mechanism for um, boards to reflect on the outcomes of the the, the company or organisation that they're governing. And um, even looking at things differently from a different lens than, than what you're used to. So, for example, another part of the innovation and transformation that should be coming from <coughs> Rove is um, better support for people with disabilities. And I just having that requirement in the back of my head, I've started to look at things really differently and um, look at all of the ways that people with disabilities are kind of locked out from many kind of day-to-day -day activities that we take for granted. Um, and so, yes, I think thinking about the actual opportunity that um, a organisational company can make to the bigger picture I think is really important. And gone are the days where we should be waiting for legislation or linking an activity to a direct financial outcome. We really need to be thinking about the longevity of the, that intergenerational well-being um, and what we can do, for example, on climate change, um, circular economy, um, greater inclusion across so many different um, aspects. And, I, I, you know, it's kind of a cliche that this would come up, but the boards themselves need to be reflective of that diversity. And I just don't think 
that's happening. And so even though I hate to say that it would be innovative for that to happen, um, it truly would be. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think that comes down to sort of leadership and and leaders here and having the courage. So I would say all all um, governors are leaders, um, in, in one way or another, and and they should have the courage to to make change. Um, one thing I was actually gonna gonna say with regards to our ordering council was that um, yes, we we did have um, mandated Maori um, positions, you know, reflecting that fifty fifty composition. But one thing we also did put in there was to ensure that they also had skills, and and it was skill based first and foremost as well. Um, because one thing, um, and I've seen it a lot in Maori them as well, is you know sometimes we set up our own people to fail. By putting them in there too early, or or putting them in there, not wrapping around the appropriate supports um, to help them through through that journey. So that was another key thing we, we did put in there was ensuring that they would they whoever was in those positions had skills as well. I think that's probably an important step as well because I think that's kind of one <coughs> of the assumptions around this quota idea is that people are being put in there because of whatever quota they're making out versus the fact that they yes they do fill that quota but they also have the appropriate skills to to deliver that role as well that they're not being raised up just because of that one aspect they're being raised up because they actually have both mm-hmm. yeah you know in both hands they they have a full basket yeah full kite. and that's an important thing for us to reiterate is that Um, because I know that's a criticism when we're having a conversation focused on one aspect of the ordering council to just remind everyone that we were focused on industry first and so the skills composition of each individual on that board and the composition of the board in totality was um, prescribed in the ordering council to ensure it was going to deliver the best outcomes for industry Um, but having those I guess quotas if we want to call them quotas does not is not mutually exclusive from meaning those people are going to meet the requirements for what need is needed in terms of skills to deliver that transformation to industry as well. Yeah, and and I'll just add in there when we talk about sort of outcomes for the learner, um, we all know um, that. Well, we might not all know, but um, it is quite common that you know we got Māori learners who are at the bottom. And, and uh, probably at the top of the worst statistics and across the country, um, alongside sort of Pacifica as well, and um, and those provisions, and we talked about capability within that um, composition. And and I go back to when you think about when you want equitable outcomes, it entails inequitable inputs um, to bring everyone to a level before we can move forward as a country. So having those extra provisions also ensures that. We, we've got the capability there to get equitable outcomes. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Troy and Renata today. If you'd like to connect more with them, you'll find their details in the show notes. As a proud Māori, I love being part of conversations like this, which explore how we can meet the commitments of tatiriti in today's workplace. After all, as the Whakatoki says, E hara takutua e te toa takitahi. Engari, he toa takitini. Success is not the work of one, but the work of many. Food for thought till we see you next time. At Hera, we're really committed to meeting our obligations under tatiriti and also to raise the mana of mātauranga Māori within our workplace. 
Our journey has seen our team become more educated in te ao Māori with weekly reo and tikanga lessons, and we've also created a research project with Puhoro STEM Academy to investigate the intersection between Mātauranga Māori and Fabrication 4.0. Our next idea is to facilitate utility training for our members so they can better understand the history behind the document in terms of why it exists, what it says, and its impact post-signing. We also want our members to understand what they can do to apply tertiality into their work practices. I'd love to hear from our members on what they think about this training idea. To do so, please get in touch. My details are in the show notes.